This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We love the opportunity to talk to folks who have uh, been in, in a situation where they've needed help uh, from Sands & Associates and gone to Blair's office and, and talked to somebody and figured this out. And, and that's what we're going to do right now. We've got Adam, who's a former client of Sands & Associates on the line with us, uh, who's going to share his story with us. Adam, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you for having me. It's so important to give a voice and emotion to someone who's striving towards that financial fresh start that we talk about so often here on the show using a consumer proposal. Uh, so just know, if you have any hesitation at all, Adam, uh, you you never know how many people you're giving assistance to by telling your story, and we we just so appreciate this opportunity. Well, I hope I can. Uh, I, I hope I can help in, in any way I can to somebody that's actually listening and thinking about doing it. It's the best decision of my life. That's great, Adam. Oh, good. And, and yeah, Adam, it's almost since we started doing this show, it's really the past clients. I have people almost every week coming and saying, you know what, I saw myself in that situation. And to hear somebody to go through it and validate, you know, this is a, a good solution for folks, you know, that that's just, just excellent. Um, so Adam, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the situation th- that brought you to Sands and Associates. Obviously, respecting your confidentiality will only, you know, disclose as much or as little as, as you as you feel like. But just wondering what you were facing, what life was like when you when you picked up the phone to give us a call. Well, uh, I, I can take the story back to 1994 mm. when my then-girlfriend, now wife, was in a car accident and became permanently injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were high school sweethearts, um, and we started collecting debt in the form of prescriptions because mm-hmm. at that time we didn't have any coverage. I was a, uh, a lonely little line cook at the time, and... <laughs> Uh, and she was uh, in school to be a legal secretary, so we had no medical coverage, and her parents weren't supporting her, and so I took that upon myself. But what that did was put us behind the eight ball from the very beginning of our relationship. Wow. And And, and since 1994, that's obviously a a long time. And, you know, so many folks that, that I meet, you know, the right decision was obviously you buy the prescriptions and you deal with the consequences later. Exactly. So, you know, you always try and, you know, it eventually turned into multiple credit cards, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul back and forth and with, with, with credit cards trying to keep that, uh, keep everybody happy and keep prescriptions going. And then, and then of course, um, young and young and silly, uh, or about young and dumb, um, you know, you sit there and go, okay, I have a little bit of extra credit. I need to go on a vacation or I want to go out for a nice dinner or I want to do X and which then puts you further behind the hole. So, about 10 years ago, we decided, okay, we're going to get out, of, get out of the hole. Okay. And with my wife being, my wife, well, probably more like 12 years ago, my wife was diagnosed with stage 4 endometriosis. Oh. So yet again, uh, she in 10 years, uh, sorry, in 12 years, she had 10 surgeries and behind eight ball again and all this. Uh, it never worked out. Mm-hmm. And we finally came to the point uh, 
to to a point where we sat there and went, enough's enough. Suck it up. Let's get this dealt with. Let's see what we can do to get this dealt with. And what are our best options? And we searched and found you. We then had a friend that was go that went through a similar situation a long, long time ago, and had dealt with you and said they were great. So we went. Oh, good. Yeah. How long do you think your your actual search went on for Adam? Where you from when you went? Okay, we have to do something about this. We can't live this way anymore. We need to take some action. What kind of period of time was that? Uh, about about six months. Okay. Uh, about six months because there was a lot of procrastination involved in that decision making process because of feeling embarrassed because of feeling. Uh, you didn't do what you were supposed to do in life. You know, you're not supposed to go into debt. And here's the crazy thing, Adam, just from an outsider here, having just heard the first part of your story, none of the things that got you into the situation where you were in debt to a, a significant amount was your fault. Like, not one piece of that was. No. Like, with with my wife, we also went, like... So with my wife, we also tried to get her on disability, but mm-hmm. we found out very shortly that uh, because she hadn't worked for four years full-time contributing to CPP, she didn't qualify. And because uh-huh. even though, even though I was a lonely line cook at the time, um, I made too much money for provincial disability. So the, pro- the province said, hey, you guys should get divorced and then she'll get on disability. Oh, my gosh. Talk about yep. falling through the cracks, right? Oh, yes. You know, pe- Absolutely. You know, some Americans might think, oh, my God, there's no bankruptcies or proposals in Canada because of medical stuff because you guys have coverage. But no, <laughs> you know, your hospital is covered. But as you were saying, the prescriptions, you're, you're not the first person who, you know, they have to decide, do I go into debt or do I get prescriptions? Yep. And, you know, you got to get the prescriptions. Physiotherapy four days a week, mm-hmm. you know, lots of extensive, yeah, no, not, not all covered. Can you describe uh, the... This the situation the day that you went into Sands and Associates and sat down and started to explain your situation and started getting different answers that you'd never possibly realized you were going to get in terms of how to deal with this debt. Can you describe what that was like? Uh, well, sitting in the waiting room, very nervous. You feel like you're going to be judged. Mm-hmm. You feel uh, you've, you're totally uncomfortable. Uh, the next um, thing is when you start talking to somebody, uh, the feeling of not being judged, the person's there to help you, uh, just listening to the, just listening to the situation and going, okay, let's figure this out together and do the best we can with the situation that you have. Uh, And being respected. You you weren't being talked down to, you weren't being belittled, you weren't being in any way degraded that that you're in this situation. It's all about help, and how can we help? Must have been a huge weight off of both of your shoulders. It absolutely was. Yeah, and it, it's interesting, Adam, the words that, that you use about, you know, the apprehension of coming to the first meeting, that's just so on point to just about everyone that comes in the door. And we try not to let someone sit in the waiting room for long because we know they're so nervous, they're so worried, they don't know if they're walking into, you know, again, the most judgmental meeting of their life. And we know it's the opposite, but, you know, until <laughs> until you met with us, that that's the case because, you know, what I firmly believe is, you know, anybody is just, you know, a medical incident or, you know, some 
very bad life event away from needing our help. It might be me someday. So, um, you know, you need to, to approach it with that situation. There's no above or, or below a person. It's you're on the same level to help them. Yes. Uh, I, I live my life by the golden rule, and mm. Sans definitely lives by the golden rule for everybody that we dealt with. That's Good. nice. What was there anything that surprised you in your process with Sands and 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 working out the details and and then getting that fixed amount that you were going to be able to handle to pay each month? Uh, the, what I was surprised with was how you well I don't know exactly how to describe it. Basically, we gave all of our information. A letter was written, and the creditors came back and said yes. I thought there'd be a lot more, a lot more steps involved, yeah. a, a lot more negotiation, a lot more uh, effort needed to resolve the issue. It was much faster, much simpler, much more at ease than I thought it was going to be. And that and that's great, Adam. Because I was going to say, you know, I ex- explain proposals on this show a lot, but I'm so curious from your perspective, you know, how how you would lay it out, and, and that's just great. You gave your information, we wrote an offer, and the offer was accepted. That's in a nutshell how a proposal works. Um, and I, I tell this to, to people who haven't done one before: it's 95% success rate. Our first offer is accepted 95%, and 99% of the time we get to a deal. So sometimes we have to negotiate, but it's very rarely we don't come to a really positive outcome here. And you know, proofs in the pudding. Exactly. I don't know what you guys do on your side with that letter going out to the creditors <laughs> and, all that, but, and what negotiations happen on your side. But yeah. from my experience, I, I hand deliver I, it with a crowbar, but no. <laughs> not really. <laughs> oh dear. Would you say, um, or could you talk a little bit about what your experience, the impact that your experience has had on your financial habits and attitudes and, and how you go about uh, your world today, Adam? Uh, just for, for me, it's keeping a closer eye on the budget, mm-hmm. uh, completely close eye, um, Scrooge-like on the budget. <laughs> you, you really pay attention to what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, and with that said, I'm actually in the process of uh, taking a look at being an entrepreneur. Okay. And see, yeah. <laughs> so so it, it's come into great, uh, the, everything that I've learned and every, all the help I got from SANS has gone into um, taking a look in, at, at all the financials that are involved and being very, very strict and very methodical about what I'm going to do because I don't want to end up in that place I was that's so good to hear because when folks sometimes embark on an entrepreneurial plan or an idea, um, the the methodology on how to stay on track and how to keep uh, costs in line sometimes goes out the window because you're just so darn excited about what it is you're you're about to embark on or as you're embarking on it. So what a, what a great uh, good advice for folks who are thinking in, in a similar way or, or wanting to take on something new and interesting. Absolutely. I, I just I, I would just suggest anybody that's trying to do it just think about all the people that were very successful in being an entrepreneur. It's all about dollars and cents. It's about mm-hmm. pennies. Yeah. If if you keep an eye on the pennies and you keep an eye on your stats, you should be good. Some uh, some very successful people have said uh, exactly that, Adam. You pay attention to the pennies and the nickels and the dimes and the quarters will take care of themselves. 
Mm-hmm. And you're a very Absolutely. good company when you when you <laughs> saying something like that. What about for the person who's listening to you tell your story, uh, who's in a similar situation as you were? What kind of advice? What kind of uh, encouragement would you give them? Uh, take a deep breath and step. Uh, there is nothing that's going to happen going to Sands and Associates mm-hmm. that would be detrimental to your financial well being. Uh, you're you're in a you're in a space right now where you're trying to keep your head above water, and all Sands is doing is throwing you a life preserver to help with that. I love uh, I love the fact that you described your experience as uh, when you sat down with the with the folks at Sands and Associates uh, that you got empathy. There was no judgment. Uh, you were respected. Uh, those are such important um, important things to remind people before they walk mm-hmm. in the door. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. If any of this is resonating with you, or you f- you're thinking that you're in a similar situation like Adam was, or or or, or fearful that you may be, uh, or that the situations we talked about feel familiar, Sands and Associates so easy to get a hold of them. Uh, the website is sands-trustee.com, and the website itself that can be the first step for you. It's just filled with such good information, loads and loads of it. Very good questions with full answers for you uh, in things in terms of just checking out your own situation before you move forward. So easy to get a hold of them. They're 1-800 number 661-3030 to book that free consultation and to find an office near you. And more importantly, just like Adam, start living that debt-free life. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment is all about helping someone with a debt problem. And I think it's a really important topic because I feel like we're family members, close friends, community. They're the first ones to know that somebody or often can be the first group to know that someone's in trouble. Mm -hmm. And you want to help and you don't know how. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes. Yeah, that's right, Elena. I often say about debt, you know, so many people suffer in silence. And when they break that silence, usually it's to very trusted friends, family members, their immediate network. And quite often, you know, almost every week I'm on the phone at least or meeting with somebody where it's not their situation we're talking about. They're calling on behalf of maybe it's an elderly family member, maybe it's a young family member, but it's somebody in a tough situation uh, where they know the person needs help, but, you know, they're trying to help them through it. So today's segment is about how do you help somebody through a debt problem. Okay. So if you're if you are concerned about a financial situation or crisis that someone you know is facing or they've come to you for help, what is it, or the first couple of things to keep in mind? Mhm. Yeah, the first one I would say is to really understand, you know, you can't make somebody seek help. You can't force them to suddenly get on a, on a program, you know, can't force someone to file a bankruptcy or do a proposal, even if you know in, the, in your heart of hearts and you've done all the research this is the best thing for them, the person has to be willing and ready to take the next step. Fair so enough. sometimes I see people where, you know, you can tell, hey, they're not here of their own free will. And it's a very difficult meeting if someone feels like, you know, a solution is being pushed upon them by even a well-meaning friend or family member. So realize all you can do is give people information. 
you can give them the tools, but they really have to take the next step to solve their problem. And they've got to agree that it actually is a problem that they want to solve. I like the fact that you've included the idea that um, uh, the emotional connection that people have to their money and mm-hmm. their finances and their debts and their, their situation in general, it's significant. And it's and it and it's there's a myriad of things that people are dealing with or, or mm-hmm. holding on to. Oh yeah, you know our relationship with our bank. Sometimes a lot of people have that as a view of their self worth. You know, I've been with X Bank for thirty years. They know me when I walk in. You know, they say hi to me and things like that. And that's all great. I can understand that. Um, but a lot of the times, you know, you're so worried about um, you know that type of a perception that you cycle through emotions like shame, like guilt, um, anger, and and resentment about being in this situation. And a lot of the times, people are so hard on themselves. And you can just see when they come in for that first meeting, they've just been, you know, wearing all these emotions and been, you know, self-critical for so long about the situation they find themselves in. So you can't force someone to make, to, to seek help, but do be aware of some of the emotions that are really bubbling below the surface when it comes to money. That you may have no idea that they're dealing with or having or, or feeling at that point. That's right. So what are the first couple of general steps that you can take if someone's coming to me looking for help dealing with their debt? What, what are some of the things I should think about? Yeah, so starting at the very basic, so sit down and add it up. So get you know, a blank sheet of paper here. Let's figure out exactly how much is owed and to whom. Um, So it'd be impossible to solve the debt problem unless we know exactly what we're shooting at. So, you know, if you sit down with just a sheet of paper, here's the creditor, here's the minimum payment, um, here's the balance owing on it, here's some notes about it. Uh, But just getting that one view of what's actually being faced here, that's really important to start is just by adding it up. Okay. And then I guess you'd have to, because the person might not have it in sort of a priority Mm of most important needs to be paid versus, you know, the the want versus the need or the fixed versus the flexible cost too, right? So that's important. Yeah. So what we need to do there, once we've got a good sense of, you know, what the debt situation looks like is to actually make a plan on how we're going to tackle it. And let's, you know, assume first, we're going to try to get out of this under our own volition, under our own steam. So the way that we come at that is we try to set down a priority order for the debt. So let's list all the debts out on a page. Let's order them by interest rate, so the highest interest rate first. Mm. If there's some payday loans or installment loans, those could easily be double or two and a half times what a credit card would cost there. Right. Um, and then also put a column for minimum payments. So the idea is on a monthly basis, you make all the minimum payments because you just have to um, if, you want to, if you're going to try to get out of this. Um, but any extra money that you have, you devote to the highest priority debt first, the highest interest rate debt first. Now, you've got to make sure this is a realistic budget. And if it's the case that after we've been through all the minimums, there's literally no money left to start paying down the debt, well, then that says, that this strategy is not going to work for you. All you're going to be doing is paying minimums for you know, 20, 30, 40 years or more there, but it's a good exercise to go through and say, well, if I paid all the minimums and I threw a little bit extra, could I get out of debt? So you want to see if that plan will work, um, but if it won't, then you press on to others. Exactly. Um, and I like the idea that you know, you've got a licensed insolvency trustee in a sit-down meeting that you can figure out. If you can't figure it out, then get some help to be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Find the source. Yeah, so you want to understand why is this person having financial difficulties. So, um, you know, sometimes it's as simple as, well, they retired at 60 and their full benefits didn't kick in until 65 and now they're 64. So we know what's happened the last four years. They've had to subsidize a little bit of their lifestyle or their living expenses onto credit. But we know at 65, they're going to be in a better situation because they're going to get their full pension benefits okay. Sometimes it's when we start to dig in and we see, well, what's all these cash advances? Where is this going? And then as you speak more and more to the person, you realize, well, their whole social life right now revolves around the casino. 
And it's not always just gambling there. That's a piece of it, but it's the only way that they see their friends. It's the only social interaction that they might get. So you really want to understand what's the source of this debt? Is it something that's going to resolve itself? Like something that's, you know, they're just going to age out of it at 65? Or is this speaking towards a larger problem? Maybe there's a budding addiction or some social isolation um, that the financial is just a symptom of a bigger overall problem. Interesting. And that's and that's really digging that's really digging in a bit too, which which is which is really necessary and important, I think, if you're really mm-hmm. wanting to help somebody. Yeah. Um, I like this idea that you've included if it, if it seems suspicious. Mm-hmm. So if I'm looking at something and I'm going, oh, I don't know about that. I've never heard about that. Or what's that? That's a that's a good clue to take some action. Yeah, we want to say, you know, we use the phrase check for safety. So if someone's come to you for help, you know, especially if it's maybe an elderly relative, they might not know about all these scams that are happening right now. I'm getting almost daily calls from Service Canada because my social insurance number has been compromised. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, the CRA <laughs> scam, you know, a year ago was everywhere and now it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, there's romance scams. There's a bunch of things that are out there, you know, new and innovative ways to separate a trusting person from their hard-earned money. So, mm-hmm. you know, Make sure that the person who's come to you for help, one of the sources of that is not that they're really being taken advantage of. So asking for help, we know it's not easy uh, to know someone is struggling, whatever, however they're struggling. Uh, But... I think just reassuring them that there's help out there. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, if you're trying to help somebody and if you can validate, hey, you know, I've heard this guy on CKNW or this team on CKNW talking about how they help people with debt, uh, you're not going to be judged. You can just come, in, come on in. Again, people delay too long to have that type of a meeting with a trustee. Even if we don't have the solution, um, that type of a meeting, just putting everything out on the table can be hugely helpful and cathartic to help the person move forward. Let's talk about the things not to do if someone comes to you for and asking for help. Yeah, so the number one thing, blame and shame. <laughs> so please do not do this. Um, as, a, as a human to my listeners out there, this is what sends people into downward spirals of depression and self-hate and self-injury and all of that. Um, people already feel bad enough when they get, in, get into a debt situation. Oftentimes, and I tell my colleagues this, when people are calling us, you know, often we're the only positive people they've spoken to in a whole lot of time because the collection agents that phone them, they're about as negative and as downtrodden as you could ever be to a person. So if someone's coming to you for help, blame and shame is about the worst thing that you could do. You'll just tell them, hey, this is a stupid thing for me to do. Let me just put everything back onto my shoulders. Now, there's some real hard things too, in terms of physical things uh, that you should not do. And Mm -hmm. co-signing loans, I think, is one of the most important things to mention. Yeah. So absolutely. If you think, hey, the easy answer here is this person's going to consolidate their debts and they just need me to sign on the dotted line so that I can be responsible. Uh, If they can't pay, please don't do that. Don't go down that road of starting to guarantee someone else's debts. You've just made a problem that was solely financial now hugely emotional because of their relationship. And quite often it doesn't help the problem. You really need someone to go through a situation, go through a process, meet with a trustee, get some counseling to fix the underlying problem. Uh, The other one using credit to support someone else. Yeah. So, you know, just be aware if you're going to put yourself into a very tough or precarious financial situation, you might be helping that person, but keep in mind your own financial stability at the same time. And the best, uh, one of the best suggestions we've got is to give Sands and Associates a call. They've got offices all over British Columbia. The number, it's a 1-800 number, 661-3030. So 1-800-661-3030. Or go to the website, check it out. There's a ton of information on it, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. 
I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. It's such a great topic. Uh, we're going to talk about payday loans. Mm-hmm. And is there a reason why? Is there a reason why we're talking about payday loans? Is they're, it something that's more prevalent? Are they? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing them more and more. Um, you know, there's not that much recent research, but um, I believe Van, Van City did a study in the last couple of years, and it was up 60 percent in a two-year period. The number of people that are using payday loans. So, and I call it the crack cocaine of debt because it's the easiest to acquire, and you never stop with one. People typically have five or ten or fifteen by the time they come to see me and it really it, it defeats their self-confidence when they're just going back and every paycheck is spoken for on a payday loan. So we'll talk about that. Now for uh, somebody in your business at Sands & Associates, Licensed Insolvency Trustee, is it because... Is it because things people are just so much more challenged today than they've ever been in terms of trying to um, make payments or or get things paid for or you know what's what's the thing that's driving this? Do you yeah, think? It, it's the big macro trends. You know, cost of living goes up every yeah. year. Rent has increased incredibly in the last five years in Vancouver, and wages have basically treaded water. You know, maybe you've got inflation increases, but most people even that is great. Um, so for a lot of people, it's either unforeseen emergency expenses. You know, something happens. And they right. don't have the you know three to six months of fixed expenses that we all should have saved away, but it's very difficult to do so. And probably harder today than it was exactly five years ago or yeah. last year, even depending on where you're living or what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's you know a job loss. Um, something happens, and you just need to incur financing as, as quick as you can. And this is an easy way to access it. Um, but quite often, it's just making ends meet in between paydays, right. which unfortunately leads to a cycle that you know it costs you more to pay that back than you got. So then your next payday, you're also short, and then the one after that, you're doubly short, so it can lead to quite a cycle. Uh, the research indicates that one in five consumers, so you know, ideally 80% don't, but 20% do, um, have at least six to 10 payday loans in a year. And that's BC-specific research. So one in five users of payday loans is definitely using them unhealthily with at least six to 10 of them. So that means that I've done this uh, once a month or twice a month for six months or three months yeah. or whatever to... Could be. Wow. So, uh, so in British Columbia, payday loan can be for a value up to 15 so there is a limit on it? Yeah, so there, there's lots of regulations around payday loans. Um, but again, it's, it's such a high cost thing as we'll go to. So in BC, a payday loan can be up to $1,500 and it has to be repaid on your next payday. Okay. Um, if you don't repay, there's additional interest and fees added to the loan, which then increases your debt. Um, and as we mentioned, even if you do repay, the high cost of the loan probably means you've got less money to live on than you would have otherwise. Yeah. Um, so you know, in a nutshell, it's short-term, extremely high cost financing, the highest cost financing you can probably find out there and we'll go through that. And it's so, and like you said, it's so available. So are there actually more um, more, uh, retail spaces that are doing this this work than there were than there have been. It certainly appears that way. Any okay. downtown that you look through, you know, you see, you know, basically a lot of them have money either as their first or second <laughs> second word of, the, okay. of their of their title, and you'll see a lot of them in downtown core. So I think there is a, a very growing uh, type of business. Okay, so let's say I am in a, a position that I have to I have to do this. What kind of uh, what kind of cost am I looking at? Yeah, this is what kind of knocked me off my chair the first time I learned. So a two week payday loan works out to an annual percentage rate of ready for this four hundred percent. 
Wow. So this means if I'm not paying it off within the year, I'm paying 400% of the... Or Well, now that would be criminal because the Criminal Code of Canada, they set a rate of 60%. That's the maximum interest that's allowed. So if you kept a payday loan for a year, they're not allowed to charge you 400%. So where does the 400 come from? That comes from the two-week period. So you borrow money oh. and, you know, the cost is, you know, it's often $15 or something on 100 something like that. Um, so you pay some costs back. But what it works out to over a 14-day period, those fees that you've cost that you've been charged is a 400% annual cost. Ugh. And if you don't pay it back, they're not allowed to keep charging the 400%, but they'll charge a 30%. That's nice, right? Which is <laughs> which is still crazy ridiculous. Crazy an amount of money. Which is, you know, that's the top end of any credit card. A credit card is typically, you know, 12 to 30%, 20% is probably an average, so you're about one and a half times what a credit card interest rate would be. And it's not necessarily somebody who's um, you know, a gambler or a drink, you know, like it's not it's not that it doesn't it, it's not always those yeah. folks that are that are struggling already with addiction of some kind. Yeah. But it could be just the average, your next door neighbor who mm. is in a bind. It, it absolutely is that, that Elaine. So um, first off, in BC, we use payday loans almost more than anybody else in Canada. So Interesting. Yeah, and it, I think, again, it speaks to the consumer being squeezed and the high cost of living and the uncertainty of income. But in 2014, again, most recent research we've got yet, 5.6% uh, of BC adults, nearly 200,000 people in the province, so it's not a small number of people here, used payday loans, and that compared to 4% of adults in Ontario. So 4 to 5.6%, that's a big difference in between two, you know, relatively affluent provinces in Canada here. And what really jumped out to me too, Elaine, is as you mentioned, the profile of these people uh, who use payday loans, most people are employed and they have completed post-secondary education. This is not just folks um, who don't know any better, for, you know, to, to right. use that. Um, these are folks that, you know, just really don't have other options, unfortunately. So how, how does BC, I mean, so you talked about we have the highest rate in the country. Mm -hmm. um, how are we uh, in terms of regulating uh, the operations? Are we pretty good with that or are we, are we a little more lenient than other provinces? Like, why do you think BC is leading the way in this? Yeah, I don't think it speaks to regulation as creating the demand. So Consumer Protection BC oversees, um, you know, payday lenders and they've set the maximum rate of $15 per $100 borrowed. And I'd be amazed if payday loans, you know, go out and be above and beyond that. Okay. Um, but again, I think it speaks to just the consumer feeling so uncertain and um, sometimes feeling like they have no other options. And what I wanted to do as well today, Elaine, is to actually compare, you know, what are the costs of a payday loan compared to the other okay. options that you might have out there? Perfect. Um, because, you know, there are other options, you know, you can either borrow the money from somewhere else or you can try to talk to your creditors and try to figure out, hey, is a two-week delay going to be something that, you know, maybe I can actually talk myself through and not have to borrow the money? Yeah. Well, let's talk about costs first. Yeah, so, costs, comparing them. Yeah, so if you've got a payday loan, and let's say it's a $300 payday loan and you repaid it on time, um, after 14 days, you're going to owe $345. So it's going to cost you $45. That's right. So $15 per the 100 Got it. Uh, for 14 days. Okay. So let's keep that in our mind, $345 to borrow 300 Yeah. If you had a line of credit after 14 days... $305.81. So just $5.81 after 14. So that's a one much... One-ninth of the cost. But not everybody can get a line of credit. That's correct. So let, let's consider some other options, okay. right? And you're right. Not everyone can get a line of credit that's low rate. If you don't have a house or if you don't have great credit, it could be tough. Right. Um, but a lot of folks have overdraft. And if you have overdraft, well, overdraft is going to cost you $307.19 after 14 days compared to three forty-five. So can I just double that seven nineteen and say for a month it's going to be $14.36? Yeah, you're not going to be too far off there. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, so you could, and what you're saying there, Elaine, is you could borrow the money for a lot longer for the same cost if you were using overdraft. 
Yeah, and depending on where you do your banking uh, would determine the overdraft rate, too, because not everybody has the same. Yep. Okay, so, and the other alternative, which I, I've i always thought, I thought it would be much more expensive than that, is is the cash advance on a credit card. Yeah, and this, as I was writing this out, you know, my hands were almost shaking. Am I a licensed insolvency trustee telling people that a cash advance on a credit card is a good thing, and that's something we should, we should be doing? And typically the answer is no, but if your option is I'm going to do a payday loan or I'm going to take a credit card cash advance, cash advance on a credit card after 14 days, $307.42. So again, about $14.80, $15 for the month. Over a month you, compared yeah. to, again, three forty-five for just two weeks on a payday loan. Right. So it's not even close. This is the most expensive financing you could ever find in the province of BC. Yeah, because that's 90 bucks on a month. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot of money to owe because you're already in a position where you're short. Yeah. Of money. Exactly. Short on cash. Yeah. And let's say that you can't pay it back. You can't pay back the 345 after the 14 days. Well, what happens then? Well, as soon as you take the payday loan, you give them your repayment right then. You give them either a pre-authorized debit or a post-dated check. So they're going to come and take what, that money to withdraw it no matter what. If that money's not there, they're going to charge you probably $20 for a dishonored check, um, as well as your bank is going to charge you 40 or $50 for an NSF. So what are we at? 60 or $70 of additional costs? Yeah. Um, if you're not able to pay it back, that gets added to the loan, and then that whole balance starts to take interest at 30%. Right. And that NSF fee, uh, is that the uh, um, the uh, payday loan people charge of 40 to $50, or is that what the average bank You get it on, on both sides. So payday lenders are typically about 20 bucks, and the okay. average bank is typically between 40 and $50 is that for right? an NSF. That's, that's, a lot, that's a lot higher than it used to be, for sure. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it's around that, that margin. Again, you might get a better deal in certain banks, certain accounts, but the ones I see, it's yeah, typically $40, $45 quite often. Okay, so I'm sitting there listening to the radio, listening to us tell me this situation, and I'm short on money, or short... I, I feel the stress that this is coming on. What do I do? What do I do? Yeah, I would say, you know, don't be swayed by the marketing. Um, you know, these these payday loan companies are great. They've got catchy jingles. You know, sometimes they do community sponsorships and things like that. But it's really dressing up something that's very, very bad for the consumer typically. So the more you're able to, you know, just say no to the loan and, and to figure out another alternative, the better off that you're going to be. Um, so some of the alternatives we talked about are things like asking your bank for an overdraft, even looking at a, a credit card cash advance. Again, be very, very careful because you don't want to get into that cycle. But yeah. for a short term, a cash advance is going to be a lot cheaper. Um, you know, one thing that I find consumers when I talk to folks on the phone, I say, you know, this is a payday loan for rent, right? Oh yeah. Well, you know, are you worried if you pay your rent two days later, you'll be evicted? I'm terrified of that. Well, that can't happen. Two days late on your rent, you won't be evicted. You'd have to be significantly later months after months. But quite often, if this is an isolated incident, go and talk to your landlord. You right. know, tell them, these are the difficulties that I'm having. I'm getting paid on this date. Let's write a post-dated check. And, you know, next next month or the month after, I'll have a plan so that this doesn't happen again. Right. You can imagine if you face it head on with your landlord, you'll save the fees, perhaps build a bit of a better relationship there as well. And what's your downside? You're not going to be evicted just by asking to pay the rent late on a one-time basis. Even if the landlord tells you that or is yelling that at mm-hmm. you, uh, they can't do it. That's right. And we've had, you know, various um, tenant organizations on the show here Absolutely. before. I was and there, thinking the same thing. Yeah, there's a lot of protections in the province of BC. 
Okay. All right. So you wanted to you wanted to add something to this segment. We've got a, just about a minute left. Yeah. This, I would say, is the latest and greatest or latest and worst thing that's out there for consumers, but perhaps greatest for lenders, is I figured out um, that lenders are trying to charge additional fees that really boggle the mind. So um, I've got documents in front of me, and I won't say which company they're from yet because I need to do a little bit more research here, but this was provided to me from a consumer, and this company is an alternative to a payday loan. So they provide a loan, um, and in this case, the person was borrowing $700 at 32% interest. So not cheap money by any means, at least not as bad as a payday loan, but 32% interest. They were going to pay back five equal installments over the ensuing two months, and they'd pay back $730 on the $700. So Sounds not terrible, right? You right. Know, it's $30 to borrow 700 Now, a bunch of fees are charged on top of that. Uh, so $40 if there's any default of payment in addition to any bank fees. Okay. Uh, $25 for any request to postpone a payment for any reason. Uh, and then $0.50 cents for every payment they actually take from your account. But the thing that really made me crazy, Elaine, yeah. is the second part of this. We've got the loan agreement that says it's going to cost you $732. Yes. But to get this loan agreement, they require you sign a brokerage agreement saying they're going to shop around and find you the best financing, it's the same company, the same brokerage agreement with a fee of looking for it here, a fee of $325. Wow. The interest is 32 The brokerage agreement is 46% of the loan cost, $325. That's very, very sneaky. Consumers beware. Listen, if any of this information resonates with you and you want more information, sands-trustee.com, just loads and loads of good information. 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number to book that free consultation and to find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're continuing our discussion about consumer proposals. Uh, A couple of things. First of all, only a licensed insolvency trustee can facilitate a consumer proposal. We've covered some of the basics already in one of the earlier segments, um, but this is going into a bit more detail. So we're going to assume, first of all, and, and if, you, if you don't know, we're going to cover that as well, right off the bat. Let's, let's just go over again what a consumer proposal is and then the sort of the details of that, yeah. a little more de- in-depth. We'll start at the high level. So a yeah. consumer proposal, it's a legal agreement. It's only available by working through a licensed insolvency trustee. And what it allows you to do is to consolidate all of your debts into a single payment to stop all of the future interest and to reduce those debts to what you can afford to repay. So quite often, consumer proposal uh, will be a repayment of maybe 20 to 40% of the debt outstanding over a period of usually two to four years or so. So it's a reduced payment arrangement to help you get out of debt without resorting to a bankruptcy. And bankruptcy, consumer proposal, two very different things, Mm -hmm. but can only be facilitated by a licensed insolvency trustee. Absolutely. Only a licensed insolvency trustee is empowered by the government to implement these remedies and it costs nothing to meet with a trustee. So if someone out there is saying, hey, I think I'm in a consumer proposal while I'm paying this person who's not a trustee, you're probably not in a consumer proposal then at that point. So talk to a trustee. Um, There should be no fees other than what you're paying in the proposal. Okay. Who will know? Because that sometimes gets in the way of people taking action sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Um, Who's going to know 
that I that I filed a consumer proposal. Yeah, that's a big fear for a lot of people, and it's generally more overblown than, than actual fact. So the people that will know that you filed a consumer proposal is the people that you owe money to, the people that we have to tell them, hey, you can no longer collect from this individual. You can't call them, harass them. If you're taking them to court, all that has to stop. So the people that you owe money to, they're notified almost immediately upon you filing a consumer proposal. It's important to know who's not notified. So your employer typically is never notified unless your wages were already being seized. Their employer at that point knows that you've already got a debt problem because they're having to give away part of your paycheck every month. So in that case, a trustee would tell the employer, okay, that wage garnishment has to stop because now this person is under protection with the trustee. But otherwise, if you've acted early enough, there's no reason for an employer to ever know because most people don't tend to owe their employers money. Some do, but quite often not. Um, So typically your employer doesn't know. Uh, Your neighbors, they would generally not know. There's no big notice that goes on your door or something like that. I know in some cultures around the world, there is. If someone does a bankruptcy or a proposal, it's public shaming. That doesn't happen in Canada, even in a bankruptcy and definitely in a consumer proposal. Your neighbors would typically not be informed. Um, A lot of people are scared that there might be something in the newspaper. Maybe they've leafed through once and they saw a bankruptcy notification Mm -hmm. in the newspaper. Well, first off, only bankruptcies would ever be in the newspaper. Proposals never. And second off, it's less than 1% of bankruptcies actually ever make it to the newspaper. Vast majority of cases are still very, very private, but they're guaranteed 100% of proposals do not appear in the newspaper. Okay. Um, How long does a consumer proposal show up on my credit history? Yeah, and that's a big question a lot of people have because obviously when you're filing a consumer proposal, uh, it's going to put a ding on your credit because you're not paying everything back in full. Now, the way to keep perfect credit would be to just keep doing these minimum payments for the rest of your Mm -hmm. life and never build any net worth, Uh, but you'd have great credit. Uh, What happens when you do a consumer proposal is your credit takes a hit. So the way that it's reported for both Equifax and TransUnion is from the day that you sign that proposal, for the next six years, if someone pulls a credit report, they're going to see that you filed a consumer proposal. Doesn't mean they're not going to give you credit, and you also have the right to put some notations on your credit bureau to say, you know, here were the circumstances of the proposal. Here's what I was going through. Here's why I had to do it. Or you can choose not to do that. But either way, for six years from the date of signing a proposal, um, that's when it's going to show that it's happened. Um, now, if you're able to 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 pay the proposal off sooner than its term, so let's say you did a five-year proposal, and normally a five-year proposal would clear a year after it's paid off in the full six years. Let's say you get that proposal paid off a year in. Something great happens. You get a big bonus or you come into some money and you pay the proposal off. A proposal will clear the sooner six years from the day you sign it or three years from when you pay it off. So if you pay a proposal off early, three years from when you paid it off is when it will uh, be purged from your bureau. But at the outside, only six years or the maximum of six years is what would actually be reflected. So, okay. So how much does it cost to file a consumer proposal? Well, probably a lot less than you think. Um, So there's no upfront fees uh, when someone files a consumer proposal. So as as anybody knows who hears this show, it's a free confidential consultation. Um, You come on in, you sit down with a trustee, we talk about the situation, figure out what the options are. If you do choose to file a consumer proposal, typically we don't take any payments until we know the proposal is going to be accepted. So if someone were to come in and let's say it's a $20,000 amount of debt and we're doing a proposal at $170 for three months, if they were signing with me today, I'd be saying, okay, it's probably about mid-January or so. That's when I'm going to know um, that your proposal is accepted. That's about a month out or 45 days out. Let's get your next withdrawal right around that time. 
So there's very little risk to the individual filing a consumer proposal. There's no upfront fees they have to pay the trustee. Whatever the monthly payment is, typically they just start making that payment once the proposal is accepted and the trustee gets paid out of that monthly payment. So there's no separate bill they ever get from the trustee. If we can uh, basically conclude, here's what they can afford to repay. It's 170 a month over three years. The trustee gets a piece of that and the rest goes to the creditors. Okay. So if somebody does want to charge me, uh, or if there's an extra fee or mm-hmm. something, even just to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee, is does are they are they violating any rules? That's or what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Okay. If someone's saying you need to pay a fee to sit down with a trustee, then there's definitely something offside from ethics and from the law there. Okay. Um, now, sometimes what's happening is you're being asked to pay a fee because it's not a trustee that you're meeting with. And that's the and that's the clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So ask the person. You know, are you a licensed insolvency trustee? And if the answer is not yes, then you're probably paying fees that you don't need to pay. Okay. So how do I know uh, that my creditors are going to accept the consumer proposal? And what happens if they if they don't accept it? Well, you don't know for sure that they will accept the proposal, except, you know, basically from our experience is that they almost always do. So right. 95% of the time when we file a proposal, it's accepted on the first offer. 99% of the time when we file a proposal, if we have to do some negotiating back and forth, if we offered 170, they want 190, we settle at 180, we still reach a deal in about 99% of the cases. So okay. there's no guarantee. And, you know, sometimes if there's a personal creditor, um, or sometimes if it's the government, and even though they know that they would get more money in a consumer proposal, they still might vote it down just because they want to see somebody go through a punitive step of a bankruptcy, but that's very rare, less than 1% of cases. In almost every case, creditors tend to be very unemotional about the situation. I show them an analysis that says, well, here's more coming back to you in the proposal. Here's less coming back to you if you reject this this proposal and the person ends up filing a bankruptcy. What would you like to do? Almost every case, they say, yeah, we'd like to accept the proposal. And did you mention, because we've talked about this so many times, did you mention the fact that uh, you don't have to have all the mm-hmm. all the creditors. I think I didn't, but I should. Yeah, um, because that's, that's huge. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you're dealing with the trustee, one of the best powers that we have is the ability to bind other creditors, so basically to make them go along. And the way that we get that ability is the law says if 50% of your debt want to as- accept a consumer proposal, it doesn't matter what 51%, it doesn't matter what the minority or the 49% of your debt want. If the majority of the creditors have said that they want to accept the proposal, the other creditors are forced to go along with it. So it could be Canada Revenue Agency who's taking your wages, who really, really doesn't want to see you do a proposal. But if Bank of uh, Montreal, MasterCard, RBC, all of those, if they say yes to a proposal and their debt is greater than CRA, CRA can't opt out of it. Even though they're the government, they are bound to adhere to the terms of the proposal. And that's the percentage, 51%, and that's the way it is right across the board, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's 50% by dollar value. As soon as we're over 50%, it's accepted. It doesn't matter what the minority of creditors have to say. Can you talk just briefly about what happened um, if I can't finish the consumer proposal? Does that ever happen? It does, unfortunately. You know, sometimes situations happen where a person's circumstances change um, and proposals can be flexible, but we need to know about it in advance or at least know about it when it happens. So if things change during the term of the consumer proposal, if we file the proposal and three years in, the situation is just quite a bit different, um, you can file what's called an amended proposal. Okay. So you'd sit down with the trustee and say, hey, when we started this proposal, I was earning 3000 a month. Now I'm earning 2500 a month. I just can't afford to make these same payments. The trustee will send out an amended proposal, lowering the payments to your creditors. I've actually never had an amended proposal not get accepted by creditors almost 
almost always are still willing to work with the person. But if the person were to go a little bit silent on the trustee as soon as they've missed more than three months worth of payments, and if they haven't caught them up by the fourth month, then the proposal can fail and they can be in a tough situation. But if they stay in touch with the trustee, generally there's there's not that tough situation. And that's the key, right, is let you know what's mm-hmm. going on if something should change. Absolutely. The, yeah. So listen, if you'd like more information, check out the website, sands-trustee.com. It's just chock-a-block full of good questions and lots of good answers on a whole bunch of topics concerning consumer proposals and debt and budgeting and all that kind of stuff. And if you'd like to make that appointment, call them toll-free at 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.